heaven. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, it's easy for us to sing words like, we will not be shaken, we trust in our God. It's easy for us to say that you are great, how great thou art. It's easy for us to sing even that the spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us, but Lord, it is much harder to live it. It's much harder to live like this is true. So we need your word. We need your spirit to empower us, to change us, to transform us. So I pray as we come to your word that this would not just be an exercise in in learning, but it would also be an exercise in transformation. And that can only happen by your power. So we ask you to do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. First Peter chapter one, verses three through five, as we continue on in this series, and we just started last week, just a little reminder of where we've come from. We talked about who Peter is, this guy who went from fisherman to apostle, the guy who went from loudmouth, bombastic guy to being crucified upside down in the name of Jesus, the guy who denied Jesus to the guy who was imprisoned, empowered by the Spirit to proclaim the greatness of Jesus. This is who we're talking about. The guy who got just as much wrong in his life as he did right. The guy who is very much like us in the sense that God took his weaknesses and transformed him into a usable vessel for the gospel. We talked about the fact that Peter wanted the people of God to understand their identity, that they are elect exiles, that they are pushed to the margins in the culture, but that's always been God's plan. That's always been God's purpose. God's purpose was never to take the largest of nations and the largest of peoples. If you look back through history, he took the Israelite people and he said to them in Deuteronomy, it's not because of your greatness, but it's because you're the least And he's demonstrating his power through the least. The weakest things of the earth are meant to confound the strongest. Right? The foolishness of the gospel is meant to confound the wise. And so in our culture, being pushed to the margins may be exactly what God wants to happen so that we as the people of God would be demonstrating his greatness and his power. So when we're looking at our culture... Right? There's a couple of ways to deal with the changes in our culture. First of all, I want to make this clear, and I've said it before, I want to make sure this is abundantly clear to you. I believe that God is saving American Christianity from itself. <laughs> okay, That's what I believe is happening. I believe it with all my heart, that He's saving us from ourselves because... 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it was very advantageous in our culture to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian. It was culturally acceptable. It was okay. In fact, it would be to your disadvantage to not be identified as a Christian 20, 30 years ago. Today, the disadvantage in our culture is to identify as a Christian. Today, you may not get that job. Today, that door might be closed in your face. Today, that person might call you a bigot, closed-minded, arrogant. 20 years ago, it was part of the culture. But what's happened is now, it's not that there are less Christians, it's that there are less people identifying as Christians. You see, 20 years ago, there were a whole lot of people identifying as Christians. Now we know who they really are. First John tells us they went out from us, so we know they were never of us. That's just the reality of the culture we live in. And could it be that God is making his church, his people, holier for his purposes so that we'll be more useful? Could it be that he's making us into the people that he's always desired for us to be? So that we would be the type of people who would be living according to, as verse 2 says, the foreknowledge of God as exiles 
pushed to the margins so that we're being sanctified by the Spirit, so that we be obedient to Jesus Christ. Could it be that His grace and His peace is being multiplied to us at the margins, as the exiles? And I believe that's what Peter is wanting the people that he's writing to to understand, and I believe that's what God would have us understand, is that our identity as exiles, elect by God, chosen by God, set apart by God, saved by God, held by God, secured by God, if we'll accept that identity, then our present reality will lead us to a future hope. But if we look for our identity as insiders instead of exiles, then our hope for the future will go the way of the world's hope. It will fade away. I want us to have a real living hope. And so we come to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, and this is what he says. He says, In light of the sanctification of the Spirit, in light of obedience to Jesus Christ by the sprinkling of His blood, in light of God's electing work, in light of God's foreknowledge, in light of God's love poured out on us, in light of grace and peace, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his reaction. His reaction is, I'm an outsider now. All by the work of God that I've been taken out of the world and I've been placed in Christ and now I've been pushed to the margins and his reaction to that is, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. His reaction is praise. So here's what I want to ask. Do you spend more time in this culture and the changes that have happened sounding like, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ or do you sound more like this? Which one is it? I hear a lot of the... I recognize it because I have two daughters. I recognize it for what it is. We call it in my house, whining. Taking our present circumstances and making them our real reality. Oh my word, you didn't get the toy you wanted at the Dollar Tree. Oh, in your Happy Meal, which we never buy Happy Meals, we just go buy the cheap toys. You know you can get them for a dollar. You don't even have to buy the death food. You can just get the toy. And, um, and so you can get the toy, and that's what we do. Oh, you didn't get the minion you wanted. But mom! It's as if the whole of reality in that moment is based on that circumstance. And that's what I hear. I hear a lot of that. I hear a lot of circumstances defining our reality. And what I believe this passage and what I believe Peter wants us to hear is that our realities are not shaped by our circumstances. Our reality today is shaped by a past action of God for us that holds us for a living hope for the future. Let me say that again in a different way. Our reality today has to be rooted in and based in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we have no living hope for the future. Instead, what I hear a lot of from us is that our, our worship, our lives, our actions, and our realities are shaped more by our circumstances than they are by Jesus. I mean, worship is a good example of that. Our present realities and all of the things that are going on around us affect our worship too often. Right? All the circumstances affect our worship. I just don't feel like I can worship today. Well, God has not changed. He's still worthy to be worshipped. 
Job lost everything. And he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. His circumstances were pretty dire. Believers are in prison right now. And worship in the name of the Lord. Circumstances don't dictate our worship. Neither does style. Neither does the, do the people that you're around, the setting that you're in. Those things should not dictate your worship. Worship is dictated by this. We're coming before a holy God, and the only way we get to do that is because of Jesus. So Jesus is our only mediator. You know, we, we sang a song just a little while ago, and it's one of my favorites. And I know it's we, the way you sing demonstrates as one of your favorites as well. Right? And we, this is what we were singing. Um, oh, Lord, my God, when I, in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul. The, the reaction to seeing all that God has created. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. Our worship is flowing from that. You know, when we went to the beach a couple of weeks ago, went out one day, and it's one of my favorite things to do at the beach, I went out and watched the sunrise. You get to watch little crabs, you know, like come out of their holes and then freak out that you're out there and they're like, what are you doing here? And they run back in and get to watch the sunrise. It's, it's a fantastic thing. It's, it's a beautiful reality. And I'm driven to worship when I see that. But you know what my favorite verse of that song is? And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee, how great Thou art. You see, we should worship the living God who created the sun and made the sunrise and the sunset. We absolutely should. That should drive us to worship. But if you're driven more to worship by the sunrise than you are by the Son of God, you may have never met Him. You may have never met Him. Because here's the reality for a future hope. You see, if we, if we understand what Jesus has done for us, it changes our reality, it changes our worship, it changes how we live today because everything is done in the light of Him. Because one day, here's our future hope. We're told in heaven, there'll be no more sun. Because all of heaven will be lit by the Son of God. So if you're more driven to worship by the physical sun, that orb, one day it's going to be no more. be driven to worship by the Son of God, all of heaven is going to be lit for eternity by Him. Should not our lives today be driven in the same direction? See, gospel truth of what God has done and who He is defines our present day reality and sets our future hope. Gives us a true living hope today. So I want you to see that in these passages of what it looks like to have this hope. What it, what it means for us to realize this true reality that Jesus bore our separation from God on Himself at the cross and that the resurrection has established a living hope for us today that we will be secure in for all eternity. Music can't be the mediator of worship. Nothing but Jesus should be the mediator of worship. He's the one that allows us into the presence of God. So what are these past and present and future gospel realities that should give us a living hope? 
that pushes us towards heaven, that pushes us towards seeing him. They're, they're right here in the passage, and I want you to see them. What drives Peter to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? And not just to say, you know, blessed be God. Praise God. You know, oh, there's some power out there, and it's great to see that this power is greater than me. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He makes it clear that the one that he's worshiping is the one who has given us Jesus as a sacrifice on our part. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it just a great blessing that Jesus, when he taught his disciples and he teaches us how to pray, he does not say, this is how you should start your prayers. Oh, great God of the heavens who created all things. What does he say? Our Father. Why? Because Jesus has not left us at a distance from the Father, left us at a distance from the God who made us. He draws us in and we're adopted when we by faith place our trust in Him. We are adopted into His family. We get to call Him Father. There's an intimacy, there's a reality that is ours now that should drive us forward in our lives and give us a living hope today. Well, what are, what are these gospel realities? I want you to see them in this passage. The first is this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. Let's underline that in your Bible if you want to. Under, according to His great mercy. What is the thing that should drive us to worship? What is the thing that should drive us to hope? What is the thing that should drive us to be different in our culture today? Even when we're pushed to the fringes is we've been given great mercy by God. Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 7 says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is what his mercy did. While we were dead, he made us alive. And went further than that, he made us alive and then gave us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus so that the rest of eternity he gets to display through us by his generosity and his mercy and his love poured out on us how great his riches are. That's the depth of his mercy. The depth of his mercy is how rich is Jesus. That's the depth of his mercy toward us. How rich is Jesus? That's a, that's a beautiful reality for us to live in now. A gospel truth that's rooted in what God has done for us and that while we were dead, he made us alive. Something that's happened in the past. Something that gives us a reality to live in today so that we can look to the future and the immeasurable riches of his grace and his mercy. Mercy pushes us to living hope. Secondly, he says, he caused us to be born again to a living hope. So he doesn't just leave us where we are. He actually changes us, transforms us, makes us new creatures, causes us to be born again. It's what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He doesn't leave us outside the kingdom. He causes us to be born again so that we will be inside the kingdom. We need new names, new identity, new creature status. And this is the way First Peter later on in chapter 1 says in verse 23, You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable 
through the living and abiding word of God. This is, this is what Peter's telling us. You have been born again. You are not just born. If you are a believer in Christ, you're not just born of your mother and father. But you have been born again with a different seed, and that seed is the gospel. And that's your true reality right now. Is that you have a new life and a new identity because you have a gospel that is imperishable. Your father, your mother will die. Your heavenly father will not. The gospel will prevail. The gospel is for eternity. We've been born again. So the reality we stand in today is an eternal reality of mercy that's going to last forever and a gospel that has saved us, is saving us, and will continue to save us. Imperishable. That's the seed of the gospel in us. But he goes on. He, he makes it better. He doesn't just stop there. You've been born again to a living hope, and that living hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have the gospel of... The gospel realities we're living in today are mercy, that we're born again, and the resurrection. That we have the hope of the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. Romans 6, verses 8 through 9 tells us, If we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Because Christ has died, we've died to death and to sin. But because He lives, we now live. We now live. And because of the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ, we now have life. He goes on to say, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. That's not just a past truth. That's a past truth that identifies us in our present reality. Are you guys following me? Do you get this? That if you're rooted in these things, you've got a real hope. If you're rooted in anything else, well, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. In fact, he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that if Christ did not raise from the dead, then everything we do in life is completely futile. Every bit of it is completely pointless without the resurrection. See, that's not just a future that's not just a past, that's a right now reality, isn't it? That if Christ in the past did not raise from the dead, it's not just that we don't get raised from the dead in the end, it's that everything we're doing right now is pointless. There are lots of people that you know that are living in that reality. There are more people than you would ever begin to imagine that are living in that reality that have not quite gotten and have maybe never even heard that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in them if they are a believer in Christ. And if they're not a believer in Christ, then death itself reigns in them and dwells in them. Romans 8.11 tells us, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life, not just to your bodies in the end, but to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you right now. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a past truth that has present realities for us because now we are living the raised life through the power of His Spirit. And that anchors us in a hope that will last forever. 
Folks, why am I telling you all this? Why are we going through all of this? Because I want you to see that we are called out not just to go on mission with the Lord. We're called out to be a people. So the church for far too long has been about the activity of the gospel and we've missed the identity of the gospel that we're the people of God. We're the very people of God. We are the children of God. We're adopted. We're the kingdom of God. So our activity and our mission has to flow from our identity. Otherwise, it's going to be anchored in something that's not going to last. Maybe you've anchored things in the activity of the gospel in your life and the activity of church in your life in different ways. Maybe it's been status before. Maybe it's, that's what my mom did. Maybe that's what my grandma told me I should do. Maybe it's guilt, fear. Oh, that we would be anchored in the mercy in this transformation of being born again and the resurrection power of the gospel to a real living hope. Look at what he says is yours because of all of this, that you've been born again to a living hope. Not a pie in the sky. I hope something happens good for me every once in a while. Not a dead hope. Not a Sunday only hope. Not a it's a good day today so I have hope type of hope but a living hope. Not a whole lot was going well for Peter and the followers of Christ. Not a whole lot by the world's standards was working, but the gospel was prevailing. That's what Peter wants you to know. We, we, we feel that way, don't we? We feel that way in our culture. It's not really working. Look around. You gathered together with other believers on Sunday morning. You did that not just by I should go do that. You did that because of the Spirit who lives in you. <laughs> Empowering you to choose to worship and say, Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ today. When the rest of the world may be saying, Blessed be my favorite sport and blessed be my favorite pillow and blessed be my favorite whatever else. You see, we're all going to worship in the present but only some of us, and those of us who recognize the good news of the gospel and embrace the Jesus of that gospel are going to worship the same thing forever. Everybody one day is going to worship Jesus. Some are going to do it from hell and some are going to do it from heaven. But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is, are we going to worship Him now and for eternity and understand our identity and he goes on and he says this, look, this is the good news of the future. So he's talked about past, you've been born again, you have been given mercy, the resurrection, and now he goes to future, and now you have an inheritance. So you've been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Galatians 4 tells us it this way, the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So he says, when you were children, you were like slaves. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were enslaved to the law so that we might receive adoption. So that now we are sons, and God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We have an inheritance 
through God in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 puts it this way. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Check, check that. Check that out. What it says, so we're fellow heirs with Christ. Here's a simple way of putting that. Okay, so we have a past gospel reality that Jesus Christ died in our place and rose again. We have a present gospel reality that we have a living hope because of the resurrection of the dead, because of the great mercy that's been poured out on us and because of who we are in Him. And this is what our future hope is. Our future hope is so secure that it's rooted in Jesus. So our future hope should be a living hope to now, to today. Why? Because our inheritance is that we're joint heirs with Jesus. Do you think the Father is going to give Jesus his inheritance? Do you think Jesus has earned his inheritance through his death, burial, and resurrection? That's a pretty easy one. I'm going to try that again. Do you think Jesus has earned his inheritance through his death, burial, and resurrection? Okay, here's what we're being told. Because Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we are now in Christ, fellow heirs with Jesus. This is how secure our inheritance is, as if we were Jesus who had died on the cross and had risen again. That's how secure our inheritance is if we're in Christ Jesus. Do you follow? That's how. That gives us some hope, doesn't it? That should define some hope for us that we can live each day as if this is not it. What I lost today, we're told, I'm going to gain back a hundredfold. If I lose it for the gospel, there's going to be great reward. I have an inheritance in heaven. We go on in Romans chapter 8 and it says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That, just, that doesn't just mean that heaven's going to be awesome. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about I lose stuff here and I gain a whole lot more there. And we're not talking about just pie in the sky. Oh, it's going to be great. You know, you just get a lot more stuff. There's an inheritance. That's yours in Jesus. And this is how secure it is. It's held in heaven for you. It's kept there. Guess who's keeping it? Jesus. It's kept in heaven for you. And Jesus is saying, I have my inheritance. And you get to share it with me. That's supposed to produce a living hope in us. But he doesn't just say, I'm going to keep your inheritance there. He goes on, look at this. This is the inheritance. He says, it's kept in heaven for you. And then verse 5, those of you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He goes on to say this, not just guarding your inheritance, I'm guarding you until the day you see Jesus face to face and get your inheritance. I'm guarding you. Jude puts it this way. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. He says he's able to keep you from stumbling. And not only is he able to keep you from stumbling, he's able to keep you from falling out of the hand of God. 
John 10 says this, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Not only does He guard our inheritance, but we are guarded. In Jude, when He tells us that He is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless. Think about that. This is how great God is. He's able to take blameworthy you and me. Right? And because of the gospel realities of the past and what God has done... He's able to keep blameworthy you and I today blameless. That's what he's able to do. To keep us from stumbling. He's able to keep us and hold us and to guard us so that when we stand before Jesus, we have our entire inheritance and are worthy because of Jesus. He's able to do that. To keep us blameless is what Jude tells us. To keep us blameless. God is not just, hey, I'm going to forgive you. He's going to say, All of your sins have been wiped out, washed away. The whole account of Jesus' righteousness is now yours. So that when you stand before the Father, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're able to say like Jude says, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Gospel truths marking present reality with living hope that pushes us to a future salvation when we see Jesus face to face. Because that's the ultimate goal. God is still at work. He says there's a salvation to be revealed. There's a final picture that's going to be ours. God is still at work. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He'll bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say before then. He says at the day of Jesus Christ, he's going to complete his work in you. John tells us in 1 John 3, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared. So we're not there yet. We haven't become everything God wants us to be. But when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You've been given a new identity if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And is marked not by your circumstances, not by our culture, but by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus has lived a sinless life, taken all of God's laws and all of God's rules and never disobeyed. He is fully righteous. And he lived a, a sinless, righteous life, died a sinner's death, took your sin upon him. And on the third day rose again so that God stamped approved on that payment. For your sin and for mine. And he says, repent and believe this good news. Turn from your identity in sin and in death and in darkness and say, that's not me anymore. My identity is in Jesus Christ. He's my King. He's my Lord. I trust Him for my salvation and for who I am for now and for eternity. Why all this talk that hope would be real? that our message would be one of hope in our culture? I ask you this question as I close. If we're the whiners, who are going to be the people of hope? If we're the complainers, who are going to be the people of a living hope? 
If we're the bombastic, who are going to be the people of hope? But if we're the people who will say, sin is sin, God is God, no matter what your sin, God can forgive it through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's done that with me. Don't be like we tend to be. The Pharisee before God while the tax collector is praying, saying, sure, I'm glad I'm not that guy. Our first notion should be, God, I'd be that guy if it weren't for your great mercy, your great grace, the great work of Jesus Christ known as the gospel and the power of that same gospel holding me today with a living hope in a future reality where I will see Jesus face to face. May that be the mark of who we are as the people of God. We don't have to be right all the time. We're called to be righteous, and that's only through Jesus. Pursue righteousness, not just being seen as right. And you'll be pursuing Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, He says, repent, turn from your sins, say, no more is this going to define me, but Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. He's done all the work for you. And he'll continue to do the work in and through you. So cry out to him today. If you're here today and you'd be willing to talk to somebody after the service about what it is to follow Jesus, will you raise your hand? Be willing to talk to somebody and say, I'll tell you what it is to follow Jesus. Okay. Look around if you're someone who needs to talk about Jesus. Any of these people will talk to you about Jesus. Because that's why we exist.